lives. Never before did they have anything like that to experience and probably never after. The, the, the thing, they're sitting in there, well, I don't know, outside their shepherd's huts in the field looking after the sheep, it's dark, I don't know what, when you try to imagine it, what you see, uh, the angel turns up, the one angel at first, and, and I don't know, I don't know what you see, I see the angel not strolling across the field, but up, up, higher, and speaking down to them and, and, and telling them what we all know that the angel said. You go into Bethlehem, you're going to find a baby there, here's the Messiah, the Saviour, and so on. You need to go and see him. And then the angel is then accompanied by, we don't know how many other angels, 20, 50, 100, 1,000, it's, it's a company or a host, whatever that number is. And they're all singing and praising God. Can you imagine that experience? And then they're, whoosh, they're taken up into heaven. And that is overwhelming. The, the, the shepherds' hearts are thumping. And they do uh, what they are told to do. They hurry into, into town. I imagine they ran. And they're so excited and they are so overwhelmed by what's just happened to them. And they arrive at the stable, this, which is in the middle of town. And I'm sure that just as that first experience of the night with the angels was overwhelming, what they see when the door is open to the stable is probably a bit underwhelming. It's a shabby little room. And there's this young woman who's recovering uh, from the ordeal of giving birth. Joseph is, perhaps he's offering to make him a cup of tea, but they say no, because they don't want that. And, and, and they talk about the angels, and Mary knows about that, Joseph knows about that. Do you know, I don't think they stayed very long there. They look at this lovely little baby in his pyjamas and, and he's what it's all about. But they didn't stay very long. You know, my, my wife has, has had the experience of giving birth twice and, um, you know, the, the thought of having a half dozen shepherds hanging around the bed all, all night, it's a bit awkward. I imagine they stayed for about half an hour or so. And then they were on their toes. But again, as soon as they leave, um, they, they are telling people. We read that in, in, in Scripture. They're telling people straight away, and people are amazed by what, what they have to say. And then, and then they make their way back uh, to their huts and the field and the sheep and, and so on. And... Uh, and I, I just wanted to have a little chat about them, and, uh, sort of, and, and, and whimsically just see what they actually knew based on that night, and perhaps compared to what we know. And to do that, I want to just read to you and put on the screen um, one verse from 1 Timothy 3.16. It's a good old 3.16. There it is. Uh, let me just read that to you. So Paul says this, Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. So there, if you count, 
You'll know this is a six-point sermon, but I'm going to be as quick as I possibly can. Let me, just, let me just have a look at that bit by bit. He appeared in the flesh, says Paul. When he says he, he means God. We know that. God appeared in the flesh. Would the shepherds have known that? Do you know, I don't think they would have. That when the angel was telling them back out in the fields there, he was talking about a Messiah and a Saviour, call him Lord. I don't think they would have realised that this was God in a body, this little chap. They know about uh, the, the King, the God of all of Israel. He is in heaven. He doesn't come down to earth. He's not going to do that. This, this baby can't be God. He's just gone through being born. He's going to have to cry to get food. God doesn't do that. He's going to sleep. God never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. This little chap's going to have to learn to talk, going to learn to walk. He's going to have to get educated, learn a trade. He will go through life doing all sorts of things, having all sorts of experiences that God just doesn't need to do. He's going to weep over the death of a friend. And he's going to suffer all of the physical pain of that crucifixion. So, would they have thought this was God in a body? I don't think they would have. Paul knew that it was God in a body, and so do we. We know that. Emmanuel, God with us. He was vindicated by the Spirit. What does that mean, really? People who are vindicated are people that uh, they do things and, and then they get judged on them. So, sportsmen are always making claims about themselves, and they might be vindicated, they might not. They claim they're going to win or, or whatever it is. Muhammad Ali, he was a good one for doing that. He would say, I'm going to knock this bloke out in round three. Do you remember all that, if you're old enough? Sometimes he would knock him out in round three, sometimes he wouldn't. But he would make the claim. He would be vindicated or he wouldn't. Politicians, businessmen, they all make these claims and say things and do things. Jesus made lots of claims. The night before he died, he said to his disciples, in a while you will see me no longer. And then after a while you will see me. It's a strange thing to say. That's a big claim to make. He had said to Jewish leaders, you destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. And look through the Gospels, look through Jesus' three-year ministry. He made one claim after another. Some of it was gentle and, and, and subtle, and some of it was quite brazen. And when he, was, when he was hanging there on that cross, it looked as if he would not be vindicated. There was no sign of that. There were people cheering and loving seeing him on the cross, and there were people weeping, and everybody, all of them, thought, this is the end. It's over. We got it wrong. He's dying, Jesus, you are finished. And we've all got to now move on and change our way of thinking. He's gone. But on the third day, down at that tomb, the tomb which had been guarded by Roman soldiers and temple, temple guard was sealed across. When that was open and Jesus was no longer in it, 
then he was vindicated, completely vindicated, and everything that he had said could be re-examined and judged and found to be true, that he was telling the truth, he was the truth. Did the shepherds know about any of that? Of course they didn't. They knew nothing, but we do. We know all about that. He was seen by angels. So, sort of an observation, really. I think this is where the shepherds have got one over on us, because that was everything to them. In my view, that was the big thing that night. It wasn't seeing this little baby in the manger. It was seeing all these angels. That's the the sight, the experience they would never, ever forget. I don't know if you see angels, have dealings with angels. I'm going to be honest with you. They're they're not really uh, in my thinking. when When I think about my faith, my Christian experience, but perhaps they should be. I think is one of the things that the shepherds would absolutely be sure of and maybe we should rethink our approach to angels because they exist they walk among us perhaps we should uh, review our dependency and our belief in angels so he was preached among the nations or another version says he was proclaimed among the nations would the shepherds have known that he was proclaimed among the nations no I don't think they would have but ironically they started it they walked out of that stable and they were telling people straight away nobody else had been they started it they shared what good news they had they passed it on Uh, we used to sing a song one shall tell another and he shall tell his friend And that's the way it went. It wasn't big time. There was no uh, electronics to sort of broadcast it. It was word of mouth to everybody. They told a few, others told a few, and it went from nation to nation to nation, and it went down 2,000 years. The baton was passed on to others, passed forward, down through the generations. Started small, really small. It got bigger when Jesus was uh, resurrected from his tomb and it's just ballooned, it's snowballed. We might struggle to see just how big it is, but 2,000 years, in 2,000 years, there are now currently 2,000 million of us who are Christians currently holding the baton. We're the front line, we're at the edge of it all. It's for us now to pass it on to the next generation our children pass on that good news and of course we will how can we how can we not he was believed on in the world he was believed and I'm I'm looking round here and, and seeing so many of you that I know and I know that you believe you have a faith you're here every week you've got a story to tell and and if that's the case with you, then there was a time when you didn't believe, whenever it was. And then something happened and you did. And that thing that happened, maybe it happened one night in a service, maybe it happened in a moment 
in a flash, in a prayer. Maybe it happened at an alpha course of 10 weeks or something like that. Maybe it happened over years. But you have a story to tell because you believe. And your, your belief, the faith that you have, what happened to you when you change from not believing to believing is a bit like a fingerprint. Um, it's yours. And it, it, it could sound and look very much like the person you're sitting next to is also a Christian because they have a story to tell. It's very much like yours, like a fingerprint. They're almost the same, but it's not because yours is unique, absolutely unique. Somebody else further over, they have a story to tell. It might be similar to yours, but it's not the same. And we all have our story to tell. I mean, if I said to you, those of you who believe, come up one at a time and tell us your story. What would happen? One thing for sure is we'd miss Christmas because we'd still be here Boxing Day telling that lovely, wonderful story. And it's worth just saying this about the shepherds and people uh, who lived in that era, that time, and in that region. They had their belief. It, the shepherds had theirs based on that, that night and others, as, as Jesus grew and ministered and so on, they had their story to tell. But you have to remember that you know, in these days, we are often praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters who are in places around the world, um, and there are pockets where it's, it's seriously bad. In Israel, in that area at that time, the persecution was 100%. You could not be a Christian and get away with it. We know that. It, the, the, the Jewish authorities uh, wanted them dead. They wanted them gone. They were a nuisance. So it was 100%. So these shepherds and all their friends, they would be believers. It would be a struggle. And yet they could not contain themselves. They had to pass on what they knew. And so we must do ourselves. And then last one, of course, he was taken up in glory. Jesus was taken up in glory and that's Paul saying that I imagine he's what he's saying that he's talking about Jesus ascension um, but there's so much more to Jesus glory than being taken up on that day Jesus glory is never-ending it goes on and on and on we sometimes we sing a, a wonderful hymn thine be the glory risen conquering son. Endless is the victory thou over death, over death hast won. Endless is the glory that Jesus has won. And listen, you know, when you, when you as a Christian, you're at home, you pray in your bedroom or at the dining table, whatever it is. When you pray, Jesus is glorified. When we come in here together and we sing and we pray and we listen and we, you know, we do all the things that we do. We worship, we sing, come let us adore him. Jesus is glorified. And when you're brave enough to tell somebody, your children, your neighbor, whoever it is, you tell him what happened, your story, your fingerprint, you, you build up the courage, you tell somebody, Jesus is glorified. And when that somebody, whoever it is, receives it, they take it for themselves, they listen to you and they're persuaded, 
and they get their own fingerprint, then yes, Jesus is glorified and the whole of heaven rejoices. We read that in scripture. All of heaven rejoices. So the baby Jesus was glorified. That little tiny thing was glorified the moment those shepherds stepped out into Bethlehem and started telling people what they knew. He was glorified. He's been gloried every moment since the shepherds started talking. This wonderful story of Jesus began there in Bethlehem on that first Christmas. These humble shepherds were called upon to be the first to tell that story and it's the greatest true story that's ever been told and it's ours to tell. Let me just pray with you now. So our loving God, Lord we thank you for the story that we are hearing all over Christmas, this wonderful story of what happened in Bethlehem and beyond and Lord we pray that we will never grow tired of hearing it or telling of it, telling of this wonderful truth. We pray that we'll always believe it, that we'll always be willing to share it. We pray that we will be willing to base all of our life on this story and if necessary give up everything for it. But Lord too, we trust that at the end we will have given up nothing. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.